Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men comic commentary podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss Heroes from Hope, starring the X-Men number one, on sale September 3rd of 1985, cover price of $1.50, page count of 48 pages. Yeah, you nailed all the facts. Can't wait until we get to the credits of this one. <laughs> It's a buck fifty, as you said. It's uh, it's Heroes for Hope, and uh, all proceeds from this comic book and this podcast uh, are being donated to famine relief and recovery in Africa. And when I say this podcast, I mean this this episode. If we ever make a penny, famine relief Africa. Yeah, <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> it's a Art Adams cover, which usually is a good thing, but here it's just kind of mediocre. I like this cover. I mean, I like mostly this cover. I think Wolverine's kind of phoned in. Uh, Colossus, Kitty, Nightcrawler. Actually, everybody else looks fine. Wolverine just yeah, kind of doesn't. I think Wolverine well. is the only one who's just kind of phoned in. Yeah. I, I like Magneto and Rogue, although they're they're sharing a pose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of as if uh, Art Adams like, I want to do Wolverine. And he did Wolverine. He's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> or maybe he ran out of room or he did the legs don't have Wolverine. It's, it's a good Wolverine. It's just not the best Wolverine that he's ever done. There's a scale issue going on with the legs of Wolverine here. Yeah, the there. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, something's off. Yeah, but he's a little thick. Yeah, but uh, anyways, yeah. This this book. Uh, I mean, I don't know all the history of it other than what I read in this book. But uh, some creators came together and said, "Hey, let's do something for famine." You know, as was the style back in the '80s. We had uh, what. We had Live Aid and Farm Aid and AIDS Aid and whatever other aid. They decided they'd oh come God. up. You just roll all those things together. <laughs> They're all about the same. Uh, and then they decided to come up with, uh, or they came up with the idea of comic book aid, essentially, which is a, a comic book jam, as it were, of all sorts of creative types collaborating in a j- story. Yeah, I believe uh, Bernie Wrightson and Jim Starlin came up with a story, and then Chris Claremont kind of organized the story, and then some people reached out to a bunch of artists, and some people reached out to a bunch of writers. And Yeah, Chris Claremont and Anne Nascenti pretty much drove the bus on this one, but uh, I believe yeah. you're right. Um, Wrightson and Starlin came up with the idea. Shooter pushed it up to his uh, publishers. And everybody was in agreement, so we got a story. Um, so I guess all of the writers and artists who contributed to this all did it for free. Mm-hmm. And all of the proceeds, as you mentioned, went to uh, Famine for Africa. Yep. Um, I'm I'm just going to kind of hit... Famine relief, I mean, didn't they didn't support famine. <laughs> right, right. They didn't pay money to take food out of Africa. <laughs> More the opposite. Uh, yeah, creative, all sorts of people, um, writing, you got Stanley, Ed Bryant, Louise Simonson, Stephen King, Stephen King, well, the Stephen King? Yeah, the Stephen King. Bill Mantlo, uh, Alan Moore, Anne Nascenti, Harlan Ellison, Chris Claremont, Joe Duffy, Mike Barron, Denny O'Neill, George Martin, is that George R.R. R. Martin? Yep. What, is it? Yeah, I looked it up. Wow. Bruce Jones, Steve Englehart, uh, Mike Grell, Archie Goodwin, and, uh, Jim Shooter, I think I said him already. John Romita Jr. Penciling, John Basima, Brent Anderson, John Byrne, Bernie Wrightson, Charlie Vess, uh, Richard Corbin, Mike Kalute. Mike Kaluta, Frank Miller, sure. Brian Boland, John Bolton, Steve Rude. I met Steve Rude once. Uh, Brett Blevins, Herb Trimpey, Gray Morrow, Paul Glassy, uh, Alan Weiss, Jackson Juice, and uh, Howard Chaikin. Bunch of inkers. Klaus Jansen, <laughs> Joe Sonat, 
uh, Terry Austin, Dan Green, man, Bill Sinkovich, Al Milgram, John Bolton, Sal Buscema, Bob Layton, John Rubenstein, Steve Leo, Walt Simonson, some other people I don't recognize. Uh, the only letterer here I recognize is Tom Warzakowski, but there's like six other letters here. Heck yeah. Colorists, a uh, bunch of people I don't recognize. Glennis Oliver, John Bolton, Anna Senti. That's all I recognize. Not to say that they didn't do a good job. It's just I don't recognize all these colorists. Lots of the colorists did more work than uh, lots of these other people. Like the, there's less colorist name than any other name. Yeah, things. like Christy Scheel here was coloring all sorts of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so there you go. Heroes for Hope with a whole bunch of creative people. Um, I, I feel like it's really an artist show because as as a writer, being given sort of a story and given like, two to three to four pages you just kind of have to and you're like oh i have to follow this story sort of and then i guess some of the writers shine a little bit more than others but it's more of an art kind of thing the art is often very distinctive from page to page Uh, ed bryant looks like he was a uh, writer's glue if you will he gets like a page every now and again between other people's multiple pages and he's always working with brent anderson oh yeah look at that um, yeah. So the, the dream team. I, I don't know if I'd call this the dream team, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a team for sure. Uh, the book opens up with Rachel, i.e. Phoenix, in front of the mansion, screaming. No! And the rest of the X-Men run down into the mansion to say, what's going on? And it turns out that they're in the, the mansions in the desert somehow. Yeah, and, uh... There's a post office man. Yeah, Kitty has gone outside to rescue the postman who is uh, in the sun uh, dying. The postman never rings twice. (laughs) No, he does not. And Kitty calls back to the X-Men saying, hey, how about you lend me a hand? Uh, Nightcrawler teleports in, uh, but something happens and he has to teleport back. He's unable to help yeah the the postman is wasting away and i guess if you go out to help the postman you will also waste away it took me a little while to figure that out maybe you're not supposed to figure it out right away and i'm spoiling it but it was a little bit confusing it took me until wolverine got out there to figure that out um colossus volunteers to go out and help but storm commands wolverine to go out there and he he runs out there um he pontificates that the heat or something else uh, in human or armored form Colossus wouldn't have lasted a dozen steps. So I guess Colossus would have melted because it's so darn hot. Well, he doesn't have a healing factor. Yeah. So Wolverine is pushing his way through this heat and he slowly starts uh, uh, shriveling up as if he hasn't eaten in weeks and he's in the early stages of starvation. Kitty too. Also is looking like she's in the early stages of starvation. Yeah, she turns around and she's like, we've got to get the postman to the mansion. He's dying. And Wolverine's like, no, cut your losses. This guy's gone. I mean, he's not dead yet, but he ain't going to make it. We got to get out of here. And Kitty argues, and that's when Wolverine pops his claws and stabs the postman. Which, you know, I don't know. Stan Lee writing Wolverine. Yeah. I guess Wolverine might do that. I don't know. Stanley doesn't know. But I kind of, well, it doesn't ever actually say this, but I I felt as if Wolverine was, like, using his... I feel like the postman didn't exist. And Wolverine senses, could sense that he didn't exist, so he stabbed nothing because when he stabs and supposedly kills the postman, they zap from the desert back to the mansion grounds. Okay, I like that. 
I like that better than what I thought it was, which was that mm-hmm. like Wolverine was just forcing Kitty to head back to the mansion by st- stopping the thing that she was working at. Absolutely. And you could read it that way. There's nothing in the book that says what I said actually happened. But um, it's more in character the way you, you interpret it. Yeah. So Wolverine brings Kitty back to the mansion. Um, X-Men are kind of confused as to what's going on. Nightcrawler says he'll search the grounds. Uh, Rogue's already doing that. So they, they know they were attacked by somebody. They feel like they were attacked by somebody, but they have no idea who it was, and they can't find the person. Rachel does not indicate any hostile thought patterns anywhere nearby, but Wolverine's pretty sure that somebody is there. Call it an instinct, an itch at the base of my skull. He's waiting. He'll be back. Magneto goes down to the basement to check out Cerebro, and Wolverine feels like even that isn't going to do very much help. And then we get some John Byrne art, I believe. Yeah, yeah, we're back, and it's, it's, it is very recognizable, mm-hmm. Colossus, in the, uh, especially as John Byrne artwork. Colossus has he's, he's decided to take a swim here. He's, he's going to um, put himself to a task where he has some control over it, so he's going to exceed yesterday's laps by five or die trying. And underneath the water... He gets attacked by a towel, which he thinks that, I guess, Kurt threw at him or stole from him or something. Um, Oh, I see. He thinks that Kurt threw it in the water, and he's like, my towel, how will I dry off now? Right. Just get out of the pool. (laughs) I was pretty confused by this whole thing, too. It's like, did Nightcrawler throw the towel at him, or did the towel just appear? Like, what's going on? I don't think Nightcrawler actually threw the towel at him. I think that Colossus... Thought he threw the towel at him. So he yes, he's attacked by the um, the towel by the white wolf. It's dragging me under. He says for the first time while drowning uh, by a top. Yeah, and it's also for the first time in a charitable comic book. That's true. It's <laughs> the first time not written by Chris Claremont. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know who wrote these pages, but this is uh, this is Louise Simonson. Oh, okay. So he he is uh, being pulled down and and drowning, uh, strangled by the towel. So he turns into Armored Colossus and rips the towel off. He surfaces and he is no he's at, he's in a pool, but he's not really in the mansion. There's a, a giant like metal uh, wheat stem growing in Looks front like of him. Looks like a spaceship to me, but he. I thought he said something like... Uh, they say, as a child, Colossus had seen a time-lapse film of wheat sprout in a field with abnormal speed and unnaturalness that both fascinated and repelled him. And this is far worse. So this, the shafts are not wheat, but of their glittering metal and within seconds. So it's like a movie, a big tower metal thing waste, uh, rises out of the ground. It, yeah, it's a, yes. Giant futuristic metal structure. Uh, he calls out to Storm, Nightcrawler, and Wolverine. And, uh, and some, the super metallic future X-Men show up. And they look pretty sweet. They look pretty sweet. They're kind of cool. They look like the X-Men, but they're shiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you shouting for, Bub? We're over here. Oh, your skin! And they introduce themselves as very sleek and high-tech and hard. So hard! <laughs> The world's become a hard place, bub. We gotta be hard, too. Or we die. Hard control. Or hard, cold, in control like you. And so they uh, they want to dress the art shifts now. We're no longer in John Byrne art. 
Nope, we're still in John Byrne. Is this? Okay, then it's not. Actually, okay, you're right. I'm sorry. The next page dramatically changes. They uh, get Colossus to transform back, or he transforms back into his human form to show him that he's human. He's not just metal. And that and they're like, oh, you need a shell. So they all take pieces of armor and they armor Colossus up. Are they taking the armor off of themselves or are they just getting it from the ground or something? I don't know. I, I don't think it matters. <laughs> Because it's some sort of a dream or something. Yeah, yeah. Why do you fight it? You're armored against pain now. You're in control. And they cover his face with armor. And he's like, now he looks pretty happy. He's like, oh, no fear, no pain, no sorrow. I'm finally free. And he's back at the mansion. Everything's fine. He's in his uh, skin suit. And he realizes that he's not free. He's a coward. And why did he choose to surrender his human body so freefully? Or his humanity. Yeah. So he's he's kind of doubled over. And sad. We cut over to uh, Storm watching him out the window. She sees him sobbing like a baby, but Nightcrawler is caring for him. Uh, she believes that their foe claimed their second victim, which she is correct. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, we are in we are in Brent Anderson artwork now with Ed Bryant writing. It's the first uh, and only time I believe you'll ever see Wolverine eating a banana, which is kind of funny. Oh yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like he's he's got a banana in his hand and he's chewing on a bite. Like that banana is in his mouth. <laughs> he is wolfing down that banana. Oh, just a second. The best thing what I do, and what I do is eating a banana. <laughs> you could do some serious photoshopping damage here. <laughs> um, Kitty is acting as if everything's okay now, and every, uh, Magneto thinks it's kind of weird. Uh, Rachel's like, ah, she just lost her appetite. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole big food thing here, and now we have the Stephen King, uh, the horror author, written oh. and, uh, drawn by Bernie Wrightson sequence. That is, uh, this is this is even more drastically different art wise. Yeah, and uh, they're kind of talking about why she won't eat, and she's like, do I uh, look like a fat farm candidate to you? So I don't know what that means. I guess she's got some uh, uh, some self-esteem issues here when it comes to eating. Wolverine's silhouette here looks like, he just looks like a big, like, kind of Beauty and the Beast-esque. Oh, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> she heads over to the fridge, because I guess she's going to get something to eat. Uh, when a girl's hungry, she's hungry, and that's when a cloaked figure grabs her and says, Oh, I'm assuming you, it's death. I mean... it's it. You assume that it's death, but it's not death. Well, it's it's a death-like figure. I mean, yeah. it's it's the villain. It says, you must be hungry. You should eat. Everything in the fridge looks great. Eat some meat. Good God. Good meat. Let's eat. Now she is withering away. She's starving. This death-like figure brings her a piping hot plate of steak and corn and potatoes. It's like, you want to eat this, don't you? It's delicious, isn't it? Cooked it all for you. The being says, you might say I take great pride in my work, spelling it the Kitty Pride way. Although I don't know how Kitty would know that. Yeah, right. I can see it's word balloons. (laughs) Wait, do you mean that like Kitty Pride? That name's like my name. She grabs the food, and the food turns into a sickening slush of putridity with maggots. Maggots squirm in the rotted remains of the sirloin. Oh, God, who are you? And this person reveals its face, and it says that uh, he's hungry. His name is Hungry. Yeah. When anybody's ever hungry, when 
Every bone is picked dry. I'm pestilence and desolation. But my friends just call me hungry. Now starve, starve, starve! Now the Marvel Wikipedia page says that the villain of this issue is called Hungry. Oh. And that's their only appearance. So this is the embodiment of Hungry, who we'll see later, I think. Yes. Wolverine, or Nightcrawler comes over to Kitty, uh, and she's just kind of laying over there, withered away. I don't know. I think this is subconsciously she's withered away. I don't think she's physically withered away. His friends call him, uh, his friends, his friends just call him, call him hungry, she repeats. Call who hungry? Lieber Gott, what is this thing? And we go into Nightcrawler's nightmare. Yeah, and this is when he's back in Germany, part of the carnival, and he's very sad that he killed his foster brother. Yes, and that his parents abandoned him. Mm-hmm. He sought self-esteem. The X-Men looked to him for leadership, and he failed. Uh, he's lost, looking for I faith. I forgot about that. H- him killing his foster brother? Oh, that too. But oh. he, he, the, that he was ever the leader of the X-Men. <laughs> he was leader for like three days. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he... he He's shown the cross, and then he's like, ah, one man could and did sacrifice him to save the world, but I'm not him. Basically saying he's not Jesus. Viewed one way, your demise would allow another occupying your planet to live, to eat. Viewed another, what matters the death of a demon? But you made your choice. Now live with it. And now now the X-Men spy Nightcrawler, as well as Kitty. Everybody, Nightcrawler collapses. So Kitty's not withered away, and I mean, you can't really tell here. She doesn't look withered away. And then on the next page, when she's in the Medi unit, uh, she's also not withered away. So that's why I kind of feel like it was subconsciously she was withered away, not physically. Just like Colossus is probably subconsciously sad that he gave away his humanity, and Nightcrawler is balled up, you know, rolled up in a ball because he's a coward. He's worried that he's a coward. Okay. While that's happening... Magneto's going to give Cerebro another attempt because his last attempt failed. Rogue's going to search the air. Wolverine's going to search the ground. And Rachel is going to keep psychically searching the premise to see if they can find this villain. Yes, this is uh, Ed Brandt and uh, Brent Anderson again, who I feel bad for them. They, I feel like they did the same three pages every time. It's Magneto, do Cerebro. Rogue, search the grounds. Wolverine, do something. Rachel, do something. It's kind of like, okay, the real creators are going to come in and do something. We don't know what they're going to do, but here's what we need you to do to get us to our next page. All right, fine. And on the next page, who, who's doing this art here? Uh, this is Richard Corbin and written by Alan Moore. Okay. Well, the Alan Moore part makes sense. Um, I feel like I've seen this art before, but I'm not familiar with that artist. Uh, yeah, Richard Corbin is one of the... Uh, classic i think he's one of the guys what is that magazine um i can't remember but uh he's clearly very inspirational for like simon bisley somebody like that huh. uh sam keith oh you can see yeah some sam keith in here i think that's what i'm seeing um but yeah richard corbin is uh i don't know i first came across him from some he did some random issues of teenage mutant ninja turtles that were pretty cool who who inked this page uh that would be richard corbin oh okay all right doesn't help me Anyways, yeah, Magneto tries on Cerebro, and uh, he's he's scanning, and uh, that's when Swamp Thing shows up. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, it's not Swamp Thing, but it's a it's a Swamp Thing like guy who uh, punches through Magneto's head and Cerebro again subconsciously, not not real. And he the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants show up. All glory to Magneto, they say, even though he's knocked over. 
His head is does not have a hole through it, thankfully. All the mutants, uh, a lot of mutants are here anyways. You got Sauron, um, Colossus, Magneto, Blob, uh, Toad, um, uh, Selene, um, Scarlet Witch. Oh, Callisto. Callisto. I can't tell who this African guy is with the earrings. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that we've met him. And then there's um, uh, Illusion Guy. Mastermind. Adolf Hitler. Well, Adolf Hitler comes in a minute. So basically what's happened is uh, they, they won. Magneto and the mutants uh, took over the Earth. All the humans are gone. And it's all because of Magneto. I mean, there was a lot of sacrifice and there's, a, you know, the food is uh, the crops were all destroyed. The animals were all destroyed. So the kids, as Blob said, is going to have some kind of nutritional problems. But that's their lookout. Oh, glory to Magneto. The humans are dead. Yeah, and that's when Hitler, he shows up and he's like, So, Magnus, you have cleared out the genetic deadwood. What an apt pupil you are. I salute you. What accent is that? It's my Hitler accent. I'm little Hitler. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> Who could go for some genocide? How about you, Magneto? And Magneto's like, uh, all right, thanks, I guess. Uh, Scarlet Witch comes up and says it's time for his speech, Pearl of the Omniverse. So his, his, he's, he's big. He's big time. Uh, comrades, uh, loyal troops, uh, children of the atom, the day we struggled for have survived and the fighting was bitter. Um, we communicated. We were right. And even if it were otherwise, there's nobody left to accuse us. Yeesh. I get no respect. <laughs> That's when a hand uh, shoots up from the ground, as well as a bunch of other skeletons or very skinny zombies, essentially. Uh, women and who, wanted, who only wanted to raise their children in safety. And dead babies still clinging pointlessly to dead breasts. This is serious, man. It, isn't that an Alice Cooper song, Dead Babies? Clinging pointlessly to dead breasts? Sure. <laughs> I, I'm not a huge Alice Cooper fan. Don't lie to me. You've been to all his shows. Yes, because I think he's been performing for as long as I've been alive. Don't be embarrassed. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it looks like the human zombies have returned uh, to take back the Earth, and uh, they envelop the mutants, and I think they eventually envelop Magneto. I love this shot of Magneto being swarmed upon by hands. It's mm -hmm. really well done. Leaving nothing but these uh, skinny zombies and Magneto's helm. The hands of the dead are upon me, and I do not even have the right to scream. Meanwhile, Rachel's in her room, scanning around, and she gets sucked into a little portal, kind of teleported to the alternate future in which she's a hound and she's in hound gear and she's she's in the dirt belly down like a dog she's got to run she's got to hide before she's caught and she is caught by herself or hundreds of herself put into a collar and they're like now you're the hunted you turned us in you betrayed your own kind i didn't want to she asks for forgiveness she asks i'll do anything to make it up to you and that's when the phoenix shows up this is uh this is Ellen senti and mike kaluta i like this art but i'm not familiar with mike kaluta yeah me neither it is uh, striking art for sure i like it as well very very liney which is good 
uh, Phoenix is like, yeah, God, uh, darling, come to mom. Mommy will kiss it and make it all better. Won't you follow in my footsteps? Will you be your mother's daughter? Kiss it and make it better. Put them out of their misery. As only a Phoenix can! There's a high kick, which, I'm not, does it blow up? Does she just, like, pop Rachel? I think she does. Yeah, she high kicks Rachel and just blows her up. It's, it's, Whoosh. it's a good panel. High kick! Hi-ya! Meanwhile, Wolverine is uh, combing the ground. Uh, who's doing these? This is Frank Miller on art. Harlan Ellison, who is a classic sci-fi writer, one of my one of my favorites. Although it doesn't really show in these next few pages, doing some pretty traditional Wolverine storytelling here. Uh, Bill Sinkevich on inks. Yeah. Frank Miller and Bill Sinkevich. And you can tell not so much on this page, but definitely the next page. Uh, but Wolverine is, he's going through the, the grounds and he comes upon another man who is another Logan. Minus the claws, minus the adamantium, minus the hair, minus the healing factor, and completely naked. Just hanging out. Just just hanging out with his pubes. <laughs> no. I don't know why he didn't have his hair. His hair's not part of his mutant power. <laughs> his mutant powers have spiky hair. <laughs> and they face off. Uh, the next page is definitely Bill Sienkiewicz. Uh, and we've seen this panel a hundred times, or we will see this panel a hundred times in the future. His shadow-faced Wolverine with huge hair, no cowl. And he is um, asking mm. human it's Logan... Like, it's like... Dark mutant Wolverine is facing off with human Logan. Yeah. They come face to face. They fight. Um, very traditional. You know, Some sometimes he's winning, sometimes he's losing. They do say, long before Hudson found you in the forest of the Canadian Rockies. So that kind of cements when this came out. Yeah. Uh, this This definitely came out after the Alpha Flight stuff and everything we've learned. Wolverine gets the upper hand. Uh, of Logan and is about to uh, kill Logan when he retracts his claws and he he doesn't. No, not this time. I'm not an animal. I'm not losing. I'm a man. I'm not losing that. We don't have to buy into that original sin garbage. And then I uh, love this this uh, panel of Wolverine standing saying, "I'm human. I'm human." Mm-hmm. It's very Frank Miller. It's it's very uh, Bill Sienkiewicz. Yep everything you could look for in those two artists wolverine is himself once more bewildered spent but a little more human oh that's nice and it moves on to storm says the caption and this is written by chris claremont you may know him from the uncanny x-men i'm not familiar with his work and brian bolland who i believe is also a classic independent artist this is a weird one storm is in a circus and she's getting hit with pies and the carnival barker kind of leads her into a room full of mirrors where she sees alternate versions of herself uh one is a very large mother very large pregnant mother earth mother she calls her uh one as an all-american girl basically a cheerleader boots and pom-poms and a cheerleader's gown you don't have any powers you're not a mutant you have no real right to lead the x-men so you got to be something why don't you be one of these a homemaker, a free spirit, a free spirit, which I guess is interpreted as a butterfly girl. It's like a fairy, yeah. The wanton, which I guess which is a sexy lady in a bed wearing lingerie. Yeah. Boudoir, is that the right, right word? Sure. That uh, works. Boudoir. Boudoir. And then there's the dominatrix, 
Storm. Stop it. You have no right. These are lies. Your lips say no, but your heart, your soul, your outfit, they know the truth. Oh, Chris Claremont. Pieces of myself. These may well be, but not the whole. I am not a toy prancing and dancing for your amusement. And she gets hit with another pie. Want to bet? Splorch. (laughs) And she enters the big top, I think. And inside the big top are hundreds, if not thousands of pies. Yes. Uh, This is Joe Duffy, uh, drawn by John Bolton and inked by John Bolton, who you should remember from classic X-Men. I'm not familiar with either of those things. All the backup stories. I don't recall any classic X-Men backup stories. Okay. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Is this like Secret Wars? I, what's a Secret War? <laughs> the Secret War and classic X-Men you're talking about, I just don't know what... It doesn't ring a bell. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Moving on. And John Bolden is a, a writer that... Uh, I've heard his name, but I, I've never seen his artwork before. He's uh, Joe Duffy is writing. I don't know if John John Bolden... Is a writer? No, no, no. I mean, I've never seen his uh, his art arting. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, art arting. Is he in this issue? <laughs> I hope so. And this clown is throwing pies at her over and over and over again. And he says, uh, "Here, don't get mad, get even. Why don't you take some of those pies and and throw them at me?" And uh, she's about to toss one of the pies when she sees a uh, an array of faces and bodies. Very weak looking, um, arranged in all ages from children to old, older folks. Yeah, frail, old, and young. She feels like she was, she disappointed herself because she was uh, making, all she was doing was thinking of making weapons. And she's more interested in peace. And she starts offering the pies to all of the figures. And and, uh, so she breaks out of her, her trial or whatever you want to call it, her nightmare. And she starts handing out the pies to all the starving people, saying, eh, there's more than enough for everybody. Everybody get yourself a pie. And that's, yes, when she comes out of her dream. Uh, Nightcrawler, Colossus, and Kitty are still kind of doubled over, laying down. And we're now in Mike Barron and Steve Rude. Steve Rude also being, I, I believe he's another... Maybe all these people work for DC. Who knows? But I, I think he's like a indie uh, comics guy. At least maybe nowadays. Steve Rude, uh, at this point in his career, is uh, an indie uh, uh, um, artist. He's did he do Shade the Changing Man? He did not. He uh, no. He did Nexus. Uh, he'll go on to do I think some Batman. He did uh, a first issue of X Men Children of the Atom, and then I think that book went off the rails, and a bunch of other artists ended up getting it. Hmm. Um, he used to live in Madison, my hometown. So I got to meet him a couple of times. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got some Nexus comic books from back in the day, all autographed and stuff. Do you have a signed copy of X-Men Children of the Atom? No, no. That came out long after I knew or knew of him. Well, dang. I don't know if he lives in Madison anymore. I mean, <laughs> I, didn't, like, I, I didn't have like an, an open invite. It was more like he was dating my father's coworker. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that's a loose connection. Very loose, but she's like, oh, you like comic books, don't you? And I was like, yes. And she's like, I'm dating this guy. Why don't you come over sometime? And it was kind of cool. I went to his house and he had like a whole bunch of like um, Nexus. He has like drawing pad or the you know easel out or whatever. And he had like giant uh, layouts of probably the next issue that that he was working on 
which is pretty sweet. Just stole some. I yeah no he should have stole some and then had him sign it I don't know how you would have done that but it would have been awesome yeah and I could have then come back 20 30 years later and be this is the page you never got to see because I stole it <laughs> um yep yep that's all I know about that I think he might have actually been working on a little bit of Batman then like maybe his first run I'm not sure but oh you should have stole that that would, that would have been worth something yeah, yeah sure would have been anywho oh he also uh hmm, loose another loose connection stan lee was in in madison at a comic book shop and uh because of the connection there i wasn't able to go to the comic book shop because i think it was during the day and i was at school but she was able to go use him as a connection to like jump in front of the line get a personalized op- photograph that was like to, i'm sure they're all personalized but it said like something like uh to jolly jeremy something or other uh do something keep drawing or i don't know whatever it was uh, and then excelsior and then i had that for the longest time and i had it in a mylar bag in my comic book box with a backing board because where else were you going to store that sort of a thing and i lost it what i know and and i've been through that comic those comic book boxes over and i'm like i don't throw anything away <laughs> <laughs> let alone a autograph from the guy that Kind of started off my impulsive collecting habits. I bet you Steve Rude stole it from you. <laughs> that son of him. If he's in Madison, he better look out. <laughs> Anyhow, so there. Uh, so we're reading Steve Rude's pages. Yeah, and, and Mike Barron. Yeah. So Storm is kind of rallying up everybody. She gets uh, Kitty and Nightcrawler and Colossus together, brings them to the yeah, other. She's figured it out. The, the entity seizes on our innermost selves. It plays good against bad, light against dark, hope against fear. It twists both truth and lies, says and does anything just to hurt us. Sucker does a flaming good job, too. Rogue wonders why hasn't she been hit? What's the entity got in store for her? I believe at this page they decide they need to go after it. Yes. Or maybe they just continue talking about it. Yeah, they keep talking a little bit more. Wolverine's talking about how the critter tears out your heart but leaves you alive. That's his mistake. I mentioned to pay back the favor. Uh, Rachel says, the entity, I, the entity and I were in rapport. I think I know where to find him. Rogue says something weird. Like, it's a very serious moment. And Storm's like, I don't know what we should do yet. And Rogue's like, we could always t- start trying to tell jokes. <laughs> Perhaps, Rogue, if even one of us can still smile. Nightcrawler? (laughs) It's not a question, though. It's uh, perhaps, Rogue, if even one of us can still smile. Nightcrawler. (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying she's accusing Nightcrawler of not being able to smile? I don't know, because I'm not reading it right. Because perhaps, comma, Rogue, period. Perhaps, Rogue. If even one of us can still smile, comma, Nightcrawler, dot, dot, dot. If even one of us can still smile, Nightcrawler. Ellipsis. Well, something left unsaid. she was unsaid. about to say something else, and then, Nightcrawler, tell a few jokes, but Wolverine interrupts and says, I'm done with talking! I, you know what? I think that's probably the best, the best description. <laughs> even if one of us could still smile, Nightcrawler, couldn't you do one of your funny routines from the carnival? <laughs> She would have said if Wolverine wouldn't have interrupted by stabbing his claws into the coffee table. Right. Okay. So, uh, Rachel knows where to find him. So they hop on the jet and they fly to where they're going. This is Denny O'Neill with Brett Blevins and L. Williamson. Denny O'Neill being a, uh, I believe he was an editor and writer for Batman and DC. Mm Mm-hmm. 
He's big time, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, and they talk a little bit more about, they got to find this guy. We got to face it, blah, blah, blah. Rogue is like, oh, well, I'm, I haven't been hit yet. I'm afraid and I'm scared half to death. So just continuing to beat that dead horse. They land the jet in Africa, and they find a whole bunch of starving people who are weak and miserable and helpless. They're so sad. And we see Wolverine wearing a white cowl of some sort, and he just looks like Batman. <laughs> Stupid. It's They're all wearing like those, you know, you go to Africa or Saudi Arabia, and you wear like those those robes to keep the sun off of you. Wolverine, some way, for some reason, wearing one of those over his costume. So he looks like a Moon Knight or White Batman. Yeah. It's kind of dumb. And uh, they, they eventually get surrounded by these starving folks, or I think maybe they've just worked their way into the center of this starving village, one of the two. We are so few and there are so many. What can we do? And some jets show up on the next page. And this is George Martin of the RR. Our variety, uh, Herb Trimpey and Sel Bushima. It's really weird here because it shows the mother, or the Queen of Dragons, and Jon Snow getting married and ruling the land. It's like, why is this here? It's, it's he was planning way ahead, and he <laughs> planted the seeds here. It just goes from this jet delivering food to like just a scene of those two and a bunch of dragons behind them. Uh, Arya Stark is dead, and I, I don't know why that's here. It's a good thing that we know about Game of Thrones now, because if not, we'd be like, "What is? who are these people? <laughs> why is this here in my X-Men comic? Uh, yeah, the really weird thing is that they brought Ned Stark back. <laughs> like, he's just standing there. His, so, his head is sewn on, but he's, he's alive and he's given orders. It's really Were weird. you just talking about beating a dead horse with, with the rogue? Uh, no, I can I can keep going. <laughs> uh, yeah. Theon Greyjoy, he's got his unit back. I don't know why that's on this page. That's really, really uncalled for. Okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> now I'm done. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you haven't seen Game of Thrones at all, like, I probably spoiled some stuff for you. Or not, because some of that stuff I made up. But which parts? Hmm. Anyways, the X-Men decide to help unload this jet uh these these airplanes uh and try to feed yeah these are airplanes bringing medical supplies food clothing shelter as much as each aircraft can carry but only a fraction of what is truly needed and so yes the the x-men do start to help uh unload these planes there's a weird sequence where the people are so excited by the uh the food that they get really close to the plane but the plane's uh, rotors are and blades are still spinning, and they're, they're going to get sucked into it. So Nightcrawler bamps in and bamps them away. Mm. Also, Rachel puts a shield between them. Yeah, seems like somebody was just trying to burn some pages. Yeah, yeah. So we get a montage of unloading and stacking, and Col- or Wolverine's kind of uh, lecturing Colossus like, "We'll rest when we're done." Uh, think maybe Storm's trying to feed a very very. Uh, malnourished baby. Um, I don't know. They're all just trying to help out, but it's just, it's not enough. Rogue then is trying to feed a, a, a very a dying child and a dying child reaches out and touches Rogue and Rogue thinks she's going to absorb his psyche and everything, but she doesn't because just as the child reaches out and touches her, he dies of famine. Yeah, uh, and this is uh, Bruce Jones and Gray Morrow. I have no idea who Gray Morrow is. Uh, Bruce Jones is a uh, fiction writer in the Stephen King caliber who eventually would go on to write The Incredible Hulk. Mm, the movie? The uh, the comic book. Oh. 
And yeah, so now Rogue is like, oh, how can this be? Uh, it wasn't any good. Uh, there's no God here who's causing this. And she kind of rises up and she's like, I'm going to take care of this. I've seen enough. So she waits till all the X-Men fall asleep and she absorbs all their powers. And interesting, and interesting sequence, right? as she's absorbing their powers, she she looks like each of them. Uh, right down to the costume for Kitty. Yeah, so physically it's okay for her to kind of take on their attributes. Because we've already seen that when, when they fought uh, Juggernaut and... Was it Juggernaut and Magus? Yeah. Or no, Juggernaut and Nimrod. Nimrod. Yeah, Nimrod was there. We saw that, but uh, the the thing that doesn't make any sense whatsoever is that as she's absorbing everybody's powers, for some reason she's absorbed everybody's costume characteristics as well. Well, only only Kitty's. No, she's got Colossus's boot. She's got like a like a. Oh, you're on the next page. Uh, I'm, I'm just on the page where she's absorbing it. Okay. And in, in that, she only takes on Kitty's costume, which is is weird. Okay, but yes. she she took on the features of everybody else, which, so, like she'll take on Rachel's hair, Colossus's hair, uh, Nightcrawler's blue skin and ears, and then Kitty's hair and costume. Interestingly enough, only a one leg and one arm of opposite uh, side is Colossusized. The other two appendages are Nightcrawlerized. Yeah, it's some somebody. Uh, I guess Paul Galassi was having fun with this. Sure, why not? Uh, it's written by Steve Englehart, Paul Galassi with inks by Bob Layton. Huh? And, uh, she, yeah, so she sews up a costume that's an amalgamation of everybody else's costume. And Storm wakes up to see this. Uh, Storm was not absorbed because she has no powers. And uh, Rogue takes off and she finds, uh, using Rachel's telepathic abilities, the entrance to, uh, I don't know, a tomb or something. Mm-hmm. And she, with a combo of uh, magnetism and Rachel's telekinesis, she's able to figure out where this person was. It's weird because Magneto is referenced there, but from the time they leave the mansion till then, I don't think you see him. Mm, he's... Except for maybe when they all have their little white cloaks on. When they first arrive, I think he might be one of the guys in the background. Yeah, he's there. But yeah, you're right. It is strange that they don't, they, nobody wanted to draw Magneto. Yeah. <laughs> draw Magneto. So she. But, yeah, he, he's, he's still there. He was just in the background. Don't look at me. <laughs> she enters this tomb. She gets kind of attacked by some bats. Um, and then eventually she gets attacked by a tentacled four appendaged toad looking creature which is for lack of a better word the physical manifestation of hungry yes don't sound so satisfied you ain't gonna eat me i'm gonna absorb you so she grabs hungry and uh it's too much power and she too much too much and then immediately you know something's wrong because everything turns stupid and it's being written by Jim Shooter. <laughs> All right, that makes sense. So she turns into kind of an ogre now, I guess. She's she's absorbed Hungry, so now she's an amalgamation of all the X-Men and Hungry. But who's drawing this? Uh, this is drawn by Alan Weiss, who I don't heard of, and Joe Rubenstein, who called me out at a, a Comic-Con once because I was wearing a Wolverine shirt that he apparently had inked. And I had no idea who he was, and he was very mad about that fact. <laughs> what he's like, hey man, I inked this, and you're like, I don't know who you are, old man. Yeah, that's more or less how it happened. That's how it happened in his mind. No, no basically, I said, oh, uh, all right. <laughs> 
And he was like, I'm Joe Rubenstein. And I was like, I see you've got a big poster of Frank Miller back there. I know I recognize that. It's classic Frank Miller drawing. And he was like, oh, that guy. And he was like, you should know my name. And I was like, I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going to go now. So you, 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 you weren't like, uh, it's an autograph of my shirt out of the question? <laughs> no, I was so embarrassed. He called oh. me out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh? I think he did the right thing. <laughs> so yeah, he turns into a giant ogre, or she turns into a giant ogre. Storm shows up, and she's like, uh, I want Rogue back. So she starts fighting the monster thing now. Yeah, the, yeah, the monster. I don't know. I, it's it's It looks like Toad, I guess. Let's say that. I don't know. It doesn't really jive with the last page. Because the last page, wh- whoever you said that was, made a very stylized character out of that amalgamation. And then the, the embodiment of Hungry is very distinct. But when the two are melded together, it's just super generic villain from the 60s. It's like a, it's like Hunchback of Notre Dame, but having the same costume as before. Yeah. And tentacles coming out of its back. So they fight. They sure do. <laughs> <laughs> they fight through this tomb. Um Eventually they make it outside and uh, this embodiment of Hungry is like... Uh, you can thank me now for a cruel, or you thank me for a cruel death. And she's like, oh, no, down in the pits was your domain, but now we're up here. I can feel the wind and stuff. So, And we move over to Juice and Steve Lealoha, uh doing the art. Mike Grell, he's the guy from, um, he did, didn't he do, uh, oh, I can't remember. I, I hope we're not butchering the comics industry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll be called out a lot on this episode. You guys don't know anything. I'm done with this podcast. Do some research one time. Well, yep. Nightcrawler shows up and, and he has he's rescued Storm from this amalgamation. Uh, and we are learning, I guess. Well, first of all, Storm had left some notes like, hey, I'm going over here. Um, so the, when the rest of the X-Men woke up from the power absorption returning or whatever uh, they would know how to get to her and so this thing is like well i don't need nightcrawler's powers i've got all these other powers and that's when colossus shows up and kind of just goes through all the x-men i don't care i got wolverine's powers and then wolverine shows up and then kitty shows up and rogue absorbed the powers of hungry hungry took takes over rogue's body is that what happened we've seen this before uh a more powerful entity or like an alien entity or whatever can can do different things when it happened with spiral in like the last issue rogue still had a body this this it seems like this entity just went into rogue oh um i i I think it's i'm just trying to figure it out yeah i think it's just these artists and writers not really understanding exactly how the powers work my assumption is that rogue's powers work as we understand it and uh, Hungry's body is laying inside the pyramid, but I, who knows? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think Hungry has absorbed, re, like somehow absorbed Rogue, but whatevs. <laughs> so yeah, and then K- uh, Kitty shows up, Magneto shows up, and basically all of the X Men except for Rachel. No, Rachel, she returns to all of the X Men are back, and then eventually uh, Hungry also must return back to his body or whatever, because Rogue has returned back to her original state. Yes, and now we're in Archie Goodwin, drawn by Howard Chaikin, and uh, art or uh, inked by Walt Simonson. 
uh, all all classic art are uh, writers and artists. Definitely, point. it's great. It's a good page, good refreshing page. Storms figured it out that basically Hungary is a a. I don't know, a symbol of their misery, uh, and the more intense the misery, the better the meal is for hungry. So it feeds on on this misery from this famine-infested Africa. Consider it like a maggot, a scavenger living off of human suffering. And Yeah, and lately it's been a little bit more exacerbated for some reason. Because of mutants. Yeah. According to this. Yeah, yes. The X-Men hand out some more food. It's not enough, but it's they're doing something. They're helping. The rise of Homo sapiens superior may have excited the entity. He feeds on psychic misery. To pursue a rather nasty analogy, we could represent a new flavor. Right. Um, they get back to the village. They're feeding some kids. There's another kid here who is, who's given up, who can't accept the food, won't accept the food. And Wolverine, he's kind of messing them up but eventually i guess maybe the hope in their eyes or something awakens something in this child and the child eats and that kind of brightens up the spirits of the x-men and they figure out the only way the best way to beat hungry is with hope did i summarize that okay i think so (laughs) hope heroes for hope that's all you gotta do we can hope famine away so we we solved that whole africa thing right they're not hungry anymore are they (laughs) um no Oh, damn it. No, this, this, this comic book, while doing its part, only helped so much. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. There you go. Uh, that's Bono. He was successful in getting the George W. Bush administration to drop the debt, so that was kind of helpful for them. A debt that Africa could never repay in a thousand lifetimes of Africa. Hey, George, man. Hey, to tell you, George, would you drop the bleeding surplus of money that Africa owes you? <laughs> Uh, just let me put my puppets down and I'll sign the bill. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. So there you go. That was X-Men, Heroes for Hope. Uh, you got to admire what they tried to do. A little jumbly, a little messy, a little hard to get through. You know, no matter what it was, it was going to be jumbly and messy. It was. It's It's more interesting for the effort. It's more interesting for the fact that it exists, um, that they got all those different creative types, that there are so many unique voices in both the art and the writing. Um, it, yeah, I, I don't think there could be a it, that it, there, any circumstance in which it would ever be really good. Yeah. It's no. just too disparate. I'm with you. We got our back cover by Jim Starlin, uh, which is very colorful. I, I like it quite a bit. Uh, it's very stylized. Everybody is very skinny in it, mm-hmm. and they're being attacked by a villain who, I guess, is supposed to be hungry. Yeah, doesn't, definitely. Doesn't look like anything that we saw, but I kind of wish this was the villain. Yeah, it's kind of wearing the same outfit as the creature that was attacking Kitty in the Stephen King version story. This is like a, this is like a He-Man action figure. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Um, I recall seeing this advertised in back issues of the X-Men. I don't ever recall seeing it on a comic book stand. I mean, I, I believe it was only sold to specialty stores or through specialty stores. Uh, and I wasn't actually buying comics from a specialty store until probably the year following in 1987. Oh, so you missed out. Yeah, and I don't. Maybe it was a good seller, or maybe they sold a whole bunch back to the to the to the publishers. But I don't recall ever seeing this available in any form. I mean, obviously it was, but hmm. there you go. I don't, it's, 
It's my only memory. I don't it. think I've ever, I don't think I've ever seen a physical copy either. And for what it's worth, this issue is not really in canon, so it doesn't actually matter. Yeah, I mean, it 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 falls neatly in line with things that are happening, but I, yeah, I don't think this is ever referenced ever again. No. So uh, we did get some communications. We got a That's true. We got a Twitter from at Bundy underscore Wolf it says, guys. I can't wait until the claws over Manhattan issue of Wolverine. This whole Lady Deathstrike story is illuminating. I believe that's two different uh, uh, thoughts, but maybe I'm wrong. What is the claws over Manhattan issue? I'm guessing um, that the claws over Manhattan is a Lady De- Deathstrike story. Okay, I, I don't it know because in Wolverine. I was wondering if it was like I can't wait for the Claws Over Manhattan issue of Wolverine. Like I love that issue, and oh by the way, this whole um, Alpha Flight Lady Deathstrike story is illuminating. All right, so it it could be two uh, separate thoughts. I don't remember. I because I was I know there was a Lady Deathstrike arc in Wolverine that at the time was pretty awesome. I think it was Blood and Claws. I don't remember what Claws Over Manhattan is to be honest. Hmm. Well, um, when we get there, I hope I hope we also are like, man, I'm glad we did this. I did actually look it up to see if I could figure it out, and the internet was not helpful. <laughs> I just did a quick Google and found some locations in New York City. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, so if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast. Follow us at Danger Room Go on Twitter. Danger Room at redcapproductions.com is our email address. You can go out to iTunes, go to the podcast section, search for Danger Room. We're the first podcast that will show up. Or you can give us a phone call at 501-GET-X-MEN, 501-438-9636. And our music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Anything else you want to add, Adam? Uh, we're at 98 um, reviews on iTunes. Um I think that's just starred reviews, not written reviews. So we're, we're getting pretty close to 100. That's exciting. Yeah, Adam's got a, a magical surprise for those of you who, or well, I guess when we get to a, a hundred. So it's a surprise for me too. Yeah. So when you two holdouts who are out there, and I know you're out there, get around to it, we could finally unleash the surprise. Yeah. To us. Make a surprise. <laughs> and to you. So there you go. There we go. Uh, all right. Well, then, uh, until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name is Adam. And the danger room is closed. <laughs>